We are in part six of an amazing series. I, I think it's amazing because the Word of God is incredible, and it's so nourishing. This, we're, we're, we're studying the life of David, and we're, good, we're getting into the nitty-gritty, like the good, the bad, and the ugly of David's life. And we're learning some stuff about how God is calling us into some battles that are bigger than us, and that we can enter those battles with a sort of courage and fearlessness, uh, unlike anything we've ever experienced on our own. And today, I want to... It's a special, it's a special passage today. We're going to get into a moment in David's life where there's no battle, there's no sword, there's no spear, but there's something very, very, very important on the line for David. And, and, and it's, it's, it's the way that he interacts with the Lord. It's his soul. It's the way that he opens his soul to God. And so what I'm going to do today, I'm going to read a passage of scripture. It's a beautiful passage. It's an amazing passage. So I want you to stick with me. You can follow in your Bible or in your Bible app or on your phone or however you, however you read the scripture or, or on the screen. Uh, and then we're going to just dig right into it and see where God takes us this morning. So let's read this scripture uh, together. It's uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 13 through 23. It says this, It says, David went to bring the ark of God to the city of David with rejoicing. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. I'm going to pause for just a minute and say, this was a party. All right, somebody, it was a party because they were bringing in the, the physical manifestation of the presence of God into, into Jerusalem. And so they were celebrating. David was, the, the word that they use for dance there is the only time that it's used in the Bible is right here. It's a sort of spinning, whirling dance. It was an, a, an emphatic and enthusiastic kind of dance. They're shouting, they're playing trumpets, they're having a party. All Israel has shown up for this party except for one person. All right. They're all down there party. And then it says this, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, who was also the wife of David. Okay. Michael is David's wife. Uh, Michael, the daughter of Saul watched from a window. Somebody say watched from a window. Watch. She was watching it from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and they set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. And then he gave everybody a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. So they danced, they partied, they ate, then they went home. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, his wife, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, Hey, honey, I saw you dancing in the street today, and you seem to be so happy and enjoying yourself. I'm so happy that you... No, that's not what she said. She said, you got to imagine her voice now, okay? This is, she's dripping with sarcasm. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. 
going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. In other words, I can't believe you have disgraced yourself by being down on the street, dancing around with the common folks. I just can't believe you would do that, David. I can't. I just can't believe you. David said to Michael, can I just tell you something before we say anything more? David is really good at a lot of stuff. Amazing. So we're going to learn a lot from David. We're not going to have David do a marital counseling session for us. He, he's not going to show up when we have our, 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 our marriage retreat. We won't be using David. David, <laughs> David, was, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord that I danced, who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people. I will celebrate before the Lord. In fact, I'll become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in high honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Today, I want to preach for just a few moments on the topic, step away from the window. Step away from the window. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that your presence, your Holy Spirit, who is here, would open our hearts, reveal our hearts, expose our hearts, and let us, Lord, open our lives to you, transform us, inform us, strengthen us, empower us to draw close to you, to draw close to your presence, to experience the real you, and to, and to open our lives so that we could actually be your children and we could experience the freedom that comes with that. I pray for every person here who is, is tied up with any distractions or difficulties, pains or problems in their life this morning. I pray, Lord God, that all things would dissolve and that we would just open to your manifest presence who is here right now. We pray this to the glory of God in Jesus' name. And somebody say amen. 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 So my wife and I have been married for 12 years. As of last December, we've got 12 marriage years under our belt. Okay. Now, thank you. Thank you. You should applaud her. But, um, so, but we've known each other for 20 years. We've known each other for a long time. Uh, the first eight years that we knew each other, we didn't really have a relationship at that time. We knew each other kind of from a distance. We had mutual friends. Okay? We would sometimes show up in the same environments. We would sh- sometimes show up at the same music venues. We both lived in L.A. We would sometimes show up you know, at, at a dinner party or something. And so we were always around each other. We liked each other. We admired each other. We were interested in getting to know each other. But for those first eight years, because of circumstances that I don't have time to talk about right now, we didn't actually have a deep relationship with each other. Okay, we had a casual familiarity. All right, if if it's okay, I'm going to make an assumption about everybody here today, everybody listening to this sermon. And my assumption is this: if you took the trouble to come here, or if you took the trouble to show up at Shaw, or if you took the trouble to watch us online, if you took the trouble to be here hearing these words today, there's a part of you that is interested in a relationship with God. But maybe it's not as deep or as intimate as you want it to be. My assumption is that if you're here, you want to grow deeper in your relationship 
with God. Can I, is it all right to make that assumption? Anybody want to know more about God and experience a little bit more of God? See, I think a lot of times what happens for many of us is we sort of get into a pattern. We show up where we know God's going to be and, and we, we hang out with him in groups and we come to places where we know God's presence is around and we're, we like him and we want to be around him and we're sort of getting to know him, but we don't really have that deep, rich, loving, intimate relationship with God like we want. Now, my assumption is that we all want that because as long as human beings have existed on the planet, they've always longed to know their creator. We've always, as a people, always longed to know the one who breathed life into us. We have a longing to understand the things of the Spirit. We have a longing to draw close to God. But a lot of times in our life, and and maybe this isn't you, but I think this might be somebody, we have a, a casual familiarity with God. We're acquainted with God, but we're not intimate with God. We're not in a rich, loving relationship with God. We we like his posts on Facebook. We'll we'll read some of his books. You know what I mean? We like his music. We'll, we'll check out his Spotify account. But, but to actually have a deep relationship with God, we don't, we don't have that sometimes. We, we want that, but maybe it just feels like he's distant from us or we're distant from him. The, the nature of the picture that we see in this scripture was a picture between two people in the way they related to God. David was down on the street in God's presence, the Ark of the Covenant was a two foot by four foot chest that was layered with gold. It was filled with gold. Inside of it was the, the, the Ten Commandments, a bowl of manna from the desert when God had provided for the Israelites in the desert, Aaron's rod, which had been used to distinguish the Levites and the priests. And, and more importantly, it was the location of the manifest presence of God on the planet at that time. We know that God is everywhere, but he chose to have his presence immediately and specifically manifest in this ark they called the ark of God. David has brought the ark in from where the Philistines had it for a while and then another guy had it and finally they brought it back to Jerusalem and he is near the ark and he is dancing because he's near the presence of God. His wife Michael is watching from a window. Are you with me this morning? Let me just say this. There's a big difference between watchers and worshipers. There's a big difference between somebody who's right down there in the muck and the mire and experiencing God and pursuing God and putting themselves close to God and somebody who's casually observing other people worshiping God from the prison of their own palace. Is anybody with me this morning? She's up here looking down. And David is down here dancing and worshiping and loving. And the element that's different between the two of them is something I want to hit on today. And that is proximity. If you want to have a real relationship with God, an intimate relationship, a true relationship with God, where you know God and God knows you and you are open to him, you've got to put yourself in close proximity to his presence. You've got to be near him. You cannot be watching him. There's a big difference between praying and watching someone pray. There's a big difference between watching someone worship and worshiping. There's a big difference between watching someone serve and serving. Watching someone give and giving. Watching someone participate and participate. There's a big difference. And proximity is the difference. The closer you put yourself to the presence of God, the closer you're going to be to God. 
And David brought this ark in and he said, I'm going to go down. I'm going to dance right down near the presence of God himself. I, my, my wife and I were out of town this week and we came home. And when we came into the house, um, what I love is that my kids are still not too cool to come and love on their daddy when daddy comes home from out of town. And literally this week, I walked into the door, all four kids, jump, leap, boom. They're all over. I got one on my head, one on my shoulders, one hanging from my belt, one wrapped around my leg. They're all just, they're, they're dripping from dad. And I, you know, it's kind of, you know, I'm getting kicked in the face, whatever, but I love it. I love it because I love it that my kids want to be near me. It makes me feel so good that they're coming and rushing and grabbing me and hugging me and holding on to me, right? And then I had to put the suitcase, so I had to kind of like peel them off and get going. But, but I love the fact that they wanted to be close to me. Do you know God wants us to be like that? God doesn't want us to be casually distant from him. He doesn't want us to look at him from afar. He doesn't want us to watch, watch him from a window. He wants us to come after him. He wants us to love him. He wants us to draw near to him. He wants us to say, God, I just love you, and I'm so thankful, and I appreciate you, and I miss you, and I need you, and I want you. In my. That's how God wants us to relate to him. That's how David was relating to, to God versus Michael, who was watching from a window. God's saying, I want somebody to draw close to me, and here's why. Because proximity to God provides, ready? Here we go, perspective. Your perspective changes about God, about you, and about other people when you are in close proximity to the true and real presence of God. It will change your perspective. Let me show you what I mean. Have any of you guys ever been to Niagara Falls? Anybody been to Niagara Falls? before. Okay. It's awesome, right? It's really cool. When I was a little kid, my dad was the home mission secretary for his denomination. And so he would go from church to church and then he would help church planters and pastors and he would preach and he would go and, and spend time with them. And sometimes he would take the kids and the, the family with him. So he loaded us all into the motorhome one time and, and my mom and my sisters and, and we go driving up, you know, all over the place. And we ended up in Niagara Falls. And it was an incredible experience. I mean, it was just a beautiful experience, a powerful experience to be there, especially as a kid, as a child. It was awesome, right? Now, I, I, can, I can describe that experience. I can describe the falls to you. I can tell you that the falls have about 160-foot uh, vertical drop. And, and I can tell you uh, that about 750,000 gallons of water go over the falls every second. You, you, you know, that's, that's, that's good information. That's true. That's real. That, I can tell you that. I can tell you it's the most powerful falls in North America. I can describe every attribute about the falls, but if you haven't been there, you haven't experienced it, right? Now, if I want you to experience it, I can draw you in a little closer, okay? I can bring you in a little closer to it, right? And give you a little closer perspective. I can show you a picture. Here's a picture of the falls, okay? That's cool. Now you have a little bit more of a sense of what it's like and, and what it's about, Right? If I want to draw you in a little closer, I can show you a video. I can show you a video of what the falls look like. This is what they look like. Isn't that powerful? Look at that mist. It's good. All right? All right, you can take that down. That's the, that's the video, okay? I can do all of these things, but if you really want to experience Niagara Falls, you got to go there. You got to feel the mist on your face. You got to feel the chill of the cold air on your bones. You need to feel the roar and the thunder of the power of that water coming down in your gut. If you want to experience Niagara Falls, you got to go there. Now, here's the thing about God. I can tell you about God. 
Come on, somebody. Work with me this morning. Will you? I can tell you. I can describe God to you. That's my job, actually. I'm going to describe God. He's like this. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's loving. I can tell you everything that I know about God. Probably in about five minutes, I could tell you everything I know about God, right? And, and I can point to people and say, hey, let me show you something. That's a person that's been touched by God because I know because I've, I've seen their character and I've seen the fruit of the Spirit manifest in them. So I can point them out. You can look at them. I can even play you a video of a testimony who's, uh, of someone who's been uh, touched by God and who has experienced God. I'm going to actually do that next Sunday. I'm going to show you a video. I can show you a video of somebody who has truly experienced God, right? But if you don't experience God for yourself, Help me, somebody. If you're not up there close to the proximate presence of God on your own, if you are not opening your life, stepping away from the window, getting down on the street and saying, God, I need you for my life. I need you for my personal life. I need to know who you are. I need to experience you in my own life. It's not enough for me to have experienced you through my mom or my dad or my uncle or auntie so-and-so or granny. I need to have you for my life. I need to experience. See, this is the difference between, between Mike and David is that what's really interesting I'm going to show you something I'm going to I'm going to toggle from preaching to Bible study okay can we go to Bible study put your Bible study hat on okay because here's what's here's what's interesting about Michael whenever you see something described in scripture on multiple occasions multiple times you see something repetition that means that the scripture wants to emphasize it that means there's something you need to pay attention to you need to notice this when we see Michael described in the scripture here's how she's described repeatedly she's described as Michael daughter of Saul Okay, those of you who know the Bible, Saul was Michael's dad, who was the former king of Israel. Okay, now Michael is sitting in the palace, looking at a window, identifying herself as the daughter of Saul. Two problems with that. Number one, Saul is no longer the king. Number two, Saul's actually dead. So her identity is grounded in a defunct position that no longer exists. She is placing her worth and her status in a position that has been dissolved. And so she's still back here looking through a window from the palace, looking down at people who are experiencing God and saying, I'm a princess. I don't need to go down there. I'm the daughter of Saul. The problem with that is she's actually diminishing the possibility of who she really is because God's going, you know what? That position is over. But you know what's more important than the fact that you are a former daughter of a former king? Your husband is down there dancing because he is the king, but he actually identifies himself as a child of God. And so he's down here dancing and celebrating and worshiping God because he's not identifying with his earthly demeanor and his earthly position. Are you with me this morning? He's down there. In fact, this is fascinating. I'm going to get, I'm going to get, get right into it. A lot of people are like, well, was he like, was she mad because he was like half naked? Okay. Cause she said half naked and so, and you see pictures or movies or anything that describes David. It's like he has a shirt off. He's got a loincloth on. That's not why she's mad. Because that's not how he was dressed. And I'm going to tell you this. That's just kind of like fanciful nonsense. All right? Because there's another passage of scripture that actually describes fully what he was wearing. First Chronicles. You ready? Here we go. This is our Bible study hat. David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who were carrying the ark. Now, hold on. Watch this. He's dressed like everybody else. Watch this as were all the Levites who were carrying the ark, and as were the musicians, and Kenaniah, who was in charge of the singing of the choirs. David also wore a linen ephod. She wasn't mad at him because he was immodest. She was mad at him because he was dressed like everybody else. 
She was mad at him because she was saying, it's not dignified for you to be dressed like a servant. You need to be dressed like a ruler. And he's saying, I'm not in my ruler role right now. I'm a child of God, and I'm going to wear what the musicians wear. I'm going to wear what the choir director wore. I'm going to wear what the guys carrying the ark wore, because in, in God's eyes, I'm just a child of God. I'm just one of his people. I'm just one of his kids, and I'm going to experience the fullness of what that means. And she's saying, yeah, but, 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 but hold on. You're a king. You need to be wearing a crown. And you need a royal robe on. You're like half naked. You're not even dressed like a king. And he goes, I'm not a king in the presence of God. I'm a child in the presence of God. God is the king in the presence of God, right? And so he's saying, I'm, I'm experiencing my true identity. And she's back stuck on an identity that just, it's, it doesn't even exist anymore. It no longer is there. It's not valuable. It doesn't work anymore. See, here's the thing. Some of you, it's easier for some people to worship God and to praise God because they have a fresher perspective of where they came from. Talk to me, somebody. They have a fresher memory of where they came from. See, she came from the palace. He came from the pasture. So he's going, you know, God brought me from a mighty long way. If you knew, if you came from where I came from, you would be down here on the street dancing because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going off of my inherited identity. God chose me. He lifted me up out of the miry clay. He put my feet on a rock to stay. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to worship him. If, if the, and the reality is this, she is just as messed up as he is, but she doesn't know it. God loves it when we know it. He just loves it when we remember where we came from. That's why I said, when you know your roots, you can rejoice in your Redeemer. Because you know how it could have turned out. And you know how it might have turned out. And you know that God brought you out of addiction. And he brought you out of anger. And he brought you out of pornography. And self-loathing. And fear. And and hatred. And despondency. And despair. He brought you from somewhere. And you get close to him. You remember that. And when you remember that, it changes some perspectives. Here's how it changes you. First of all, it changes your perspective about God. Suddenly, you're not just watching him from a window. When you're watching him from a window, God seems distant and small. Just like if I showed you a postcard of the Niagara Falls, it would seem distant and small. When you get close to God, when you step up to the Niagara Falls, man, he seems powerful and big. And you know what happens when you get close to God? You begin to understand God as your loving and generous father. That's what happens. You get close to God and suddenly you see him as a loving and generous father who has provided for you in the desert, who has instructed you, has given you the Ten Commandments. That's what's in the ark. And he's given you a bowl of man. He's provided for you in dark times and hard places. He's showing you who you really are. And you, got, and you get to get around him and you go, oh my God, you are a loving father. You're a loving father. A powerful and mighty and strong loving father, which then changes your perspective of yourself. Because if he's a loving father, then suddenly you start to see yourself as a beloved child. Somebody needs to, somebody needs to hear this. You begin to see yourself as a beloved child. You start to go, oh, I don't have to rest on my old identity. I don't have to prove myself by my worth or the position that I was in. I don't have to prove myself by my education or by my wealth or by my earthly power. Or I don't have to prove myself that way because I got a bigger identity, a much longer lasting identity. I'm a child of the living God who loves me and desires to be close to me and wants me to dance before him and wants me to be open to him, wants me to expose my heart to him. That's the difference 
between Michael and David is that, is that she wanted to be royal and he wanted to be real. He wanted to go, hey, huh? it's just me. It's just, in fact, let me tell you this. That word, when she says, you know, dancing half naked, it doesn't literally mean half naked. It, the Hebrew word is revealed or uncovered. In other words, you're down there exposing your real self to God. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I am. Because I want my real self to experience all that God has. Because God is all that's real to me. And I don't care about everything else. I'm just going to experience all who God is so that I can be all who I am. Here's the other thing. You see God as loving father. You begin to see yourself as beloved child. Guess what happens? You look around and you start seeing other people as your brother and sister. It changes your perspective. See, Michael is up here going, hmm, look at David down among the commoners. David is down there going, look at, look at my brothers and sisters. Look at us dancing before the Lord. Look at us enjoying the presence of God. It's the difference. It, it changes your perspective when you get near the presence of God in your life. It changes your perspective. And when it changes your perspective, that is when, and that is only when, and only then can you begin to actually experience true spiritual productivity. True spiritual productivity. Your life becomes fruitful when you put yourself in the presence of God and when your perspective begins to change. That's when your life truly becomes fulfilling. It becomes fruitful. It becomes productive. Now I'm going to take a moment. We're going to Bible study again real quick. We're going to Bible study. I want to hit on a verse that probably has caused some of you to go, "Mm?" right? A little sideways. Okay. I want to hit on this verse because I want to, I want to free somebody from some misconceptions today. The, the scripture that kind of hits you sideways is the last scripture in the verse, in the verse that says, Michael, daughter of Saul had no children to the day of her death. Now, what I want to do is if for anybody who is struggling with infertility or, or issues related to that, this scripture does not stand for the prop for the proposition that if you don't worship God, you will be struck barren. Okay. Let me just tell you that that is not what the scripture stands for because couple couple points couple points of order there have been millions of people throughout history who do not worship god and who have had many babies this is like this is verifiable okay this is an objective truth and there have been many devoted loving worshiping followers of jesus who for physical or or genetic reasons or whatever cannot have babies okay that this scripture is not saying if you don't worship god right he's going to shut your womb people read it that way that's not what it says first of all and that's not what it means, okay? What it means is something different. First of all, we don't know why Michael didn't have babies. It may be that God made her so that she couldn't have babies. But I think that a more likely explanation is given to us from a couple verses ago. I don't remember if you remember how they were talking to each other. Anybody remember that conversation? Remember the part when it says, she despised him in her heart? Remember that part? Remember how much contempt and, 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 and acrimony poured out of her mouth? And then do you remember that he didn't seem overly fond of her either? He wasn't going, honey, I know that you're... He wasn't really bringing her into the presence of God either, okay? He was like, God chose me, not your husband. Remember your dad got killed and I... Right? That's what I mean. I, I, I don't think... And we have kids in here. I don't think there was a lot of loving intimacy after this event. Okay, adults in the room. We don't know why. 
what really the scripture is, is showing us is, is this scripture is providing a metaphor for fruitfulness and productivity. When we get close to the presence of God, it makes our life productive. When we, when we deny the presence of God and we scorn the presence of God and we remain locked in the palace of our own prism, of our own mindset, and we stick with our own identity, we retract, we withdraw, and we wither. Right? We don't hear about Michael. Her, she, she recedes from the story after this, right? But you know what happens to David after he praises and after he worships? Remember what happened after he praised and worshiped? Scripture says this. He, after he finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he gave a loaf of bread. He started making cakes, fruit cakes, people. I mean, it's, the Bible is like, you will be fruitful when you, your life will be productive. This is fruit. This is, this is where church people started doing the fruit cake thing. They just like, he... He made cakes of dates. He gave them cakes of raisins to every person in the whole of Israel. Every man, every woman. His life. Here's what happens. When you get close to the source of life, you start to want to become a resource for other people. Because you're receiving so much of what God has that you want to pour it back out so that somebody else can receive what you got. That's what happens when you get close to the presence of God. You start soaking it in. You start experiencing his joy and his mercy and his grace and his power and his strength and his forgiveness. And, and you just want to start pouring it back out to somebody else. Now, if you pull back from it and you're just watching from the window, man, you got nothing to give. You got nothing to give. But you get down in his presence and start filling up. Now you're pouring it out. You want to give more. You want to serve more. You want to love more. You want to lead more. You want to be somebody who's pouring. Jesus put it like this. He said, when the spirit enters you, when the spirit comes inside of you, when you drink from the water that I'm going to give you, then out of your belly flows rivers of living water. In other words, you drink it and it pours back out. You soak it in. You bring in God's mercy. It flows back out. Your family starts to experience it. Your school starts. To, your city starts to change because they're experiencing love, justice, peace, mercy, long suffering. You start to experience it and it pours back out. God is saying to somebody today, here's what I want you to do. If you really want to experience the vibrancy and the, and the power and the fulfillment and the joy of being one of my children, then move from watcher to worshiper. Like get down here and let me get inside of your heart. Stop holding me at arm's length. Step away from the window and get down onto the street where God is going to meet you and God is going to change you and your life can be productive again because you have a fresh perspective of who you are. God wants this for somebody today. He wants somebody to experience the depth and the richness and the joy, but we can't do it if we're going to just watch from a window. Eight years after my wife and I were casual you know, acquaintances, we we started becoming intimate friends and more. Okay, we started getting close, right? And then we started dating. And that during the dating time and during that, during that um, you know, engagement time, I, we, had to, we had to step away from the window. We had to move from like, huh, she's interesting, to like, okay, you want to like, actually know who I am? Like, I, like you want to see the, well, who I really am? Okay, because... You had to start getting real. You had to start you had to start taking off the mask. You had to start like getting real and starting to expose your life, reveal your life 
Did I already tell you that the Hebrew word meant to reveal? It's, it's like you got you to gotta start to get real, right? And finally, after we started getting real, we said, you know what? Let's, let's make this thing official. Let's, let's, let's get married. And we got married, and it was a beautiful day. It was just a wonderful day. It was like my favorite day ever. We were on a little boat in California, and we're, we're, we're getting married, and we got married, and it was the culmination of this journey from, like, distant to, like, close, right? From being, watching from a window to, like, getting real close. And after we got married, you know, the DJ threw on the turntables, and we said, you know, it's time to dance. It's time to dance. Now, I don't fancy myself an amazing dancer, okay? But I do have a move or two that I can pull out from time to time, okay? And um, I decided to pull a move. It was just spur of the moment. It was like, just came to me just right then, like, a, like, like the Holy Spirit just put it right in my mind. Um, any Greco-Roman wrestlers in the house today? Anybody? Got some wrestling? Andre? Okay, just me and you. Um, there's a move called the hip throw hip throw it's the hip throw and um while we're dancing on the dance floor i said man i just i just feel moved to do the hip throw i just feel like it would be the appropriate thing to do because i'm so excited i felt so happy so i just went ahead and i just i just i just did the hip throw right there right there on the dance floor she didn't know it was coming she did not know it was coming but man, I was rejoicing. I was happy, man. Eight years. I like this girl. And now we're getting real, you know? It was fantastic. It took her like two years to realize that she actually enjoyed that moment. All right, take that down before we... It took her a little while before she realized that, no, that was a good thing. So, but it was, <laughs> it was fun. I mean, we just had a good time. Now, now, now. We go to weddings all the time still because I'm a pastor, and so I have to. I get to officiate weddings from time to time. I like I like weddings. I really do. But in my role as pastor, I come in a black suit. I only have one suit. It's a black suit. If I do your wedding or your funeral, it'll be in that suit. Okay. <laughs> so I come in that suit. I have my little my little folder, my shiny shoes, my tie, my tie. No. Uh, and I, you know, I come and, I, and I'm distinguished because I'm the pastor. So I come and I'm in mineral role and I, and I do my thing and, you know, and I do that. And, you know, if you say I do, I do for better, for worse, close the book. And then a lot of times we go to the reception afterwards, right? Well, so I'm still in pastor role, like, you know, uh, efficient role. Well, my wife is like, this reminds her of our wedding. So she wants to get out on the dance floor. So there's this push and pull. Because I'm over here going, no, 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 honey. Just let the, let, the, let the wedding party do the dance. I'm going to watch from the window. And she's going, no, because this reminds me of the time that we got together. Remember you did the hip throw and how fun that was? And so we want, she wants to get back out on the dance floor. Here's the thing. Some of you have experienced a real moment with God at some point in your life. You had a moment where you actually experienced the love of God, the grace of God in your life, and it was beautiful. You might remember it even now. It was beautiful. But over the years, you've gotten a little bit distant. You said, I'm not sure I'm ready to go down to the dance floor. I think I'll just watch other people worship. I think I'll just watch other people pray. 
I think I'll just watch other people praise God. I think I'll just watch other people. Because maybe you got hurt somewhere along the way. Or maybe you got distracted somewhere along. Or maybe you got disappointed somewhere along the way. Something happened and you just kind of pulled back. And now you're watching from the window. And God's saying, hey, I want you to step away from the window. And I want you to get down on the dance floor where you can experience me. And you can experience my love. And you can experience my grace and my mercy. And I'm going to fill you up. And you're going to be so productive. It's going to pour out of you like like rivers of living water pouring out of your bosom. God wants to touch somebody today. He wants to bring you back into close proximity of his presence. So he can remind you of the fresh perspective of what it feels like to truly be a beloved child of God. So that you can be truly productive by looking out at the people around you and going, that's my brother. That's my sister. That's my sister. That's my brother. I want to serve them. I want to love them. I want to lead. I want to teach. I want to bring. I want to, I want to pray together. I want to... God's saying, I want, you to, I want you to experience me anew. And today, I just believe, honestly, that, that, that there are people here today that need to experience God anew. They need to experience him close again. Because you've been watching from the window, and God's going, no, no, no. Come down onto the street. Come down close to my presence. Come and be reminded of who I am so you can be reminded of who you are, so you can be reminded of who he is and who she is so that we can take this thing and go crazy and we can just keep on partying. We can have, we can have more date cakes and raisin cakes and fruit cakes and everything we want to have because I'm with you. Here's the last thing I'm going to say. We don't have to wait for a, a, a chest of acacia wood covered with gold right? Because Jesus did something on the cross and the temple veil, the scriptures got torn in two. So the presence of God spilled out from the ark, spilled out all over the world. Here. We're here. He's here. You're here right now. You can experience the presence of God right now, fresh and anew in your life. If you'll step away from the window and step into his presence. Let me pray for you right now. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your, for your very real presence right here, right now. Thank you, God, that you are here. You're not distant. You're not far off. If anybody's far off, it's, we're far off because we're far. We're looking through a window. We're looking through the prison of our own former identity, our own, our own false identity. We don't understand ourselves yet as your child because we haven't gotten near enough to you to feel you, to experience you. I pray, God, that we would step away from the window. We would step down onto the street and we would experience the power of your presence right here, right now. Right here, right now, this moment, this day. Take away the distractions, the fears, the anxieties. And let us open our hearts to receive you so that we can get a fresh perspective of who you are, who we are, who other people are, and we can live out the life that you've called us to live. We pray that you would receive all of the praise and the honor and the glory for this. We pray for all the people in the Shaw campus, all of the people uh, stepping into the light, all the people watching online, all of us, all of us here in U City, all of us, God, would experience this fresh and a new presence, presence of your power. We pray this to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.